Welcome to Get Up in the Cool, old-time music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. It's the first week of this year's Get Up in the Cool month. I just got back from IBMA, where I recorded some extra special interviews for October in hopes that you'll be moved to support the show, which is why this week's friend is Tristan Scroggins. We recorded this last week in Raleigh, North Carolina. Get Up in the Cool is funded by a small percentage of dedicated listeners, podcasts, by design need to be free to download or else word of mouth won't travel but get up in the cool costs money and time and energy to make i pay my guests a stipend to be on the show i have to buy new equipment when it breaks or when i want to improve the audio quality Uh, there's tanks of gas and flights website hosting isn't cheap the expenses really add up and then there's the time I love making Get Up in the Cool, but I can't make it alone. I need your help. And you'll get some special content for chipping in. If you sign up and search my Patreon for full video episodes, you'll find a bunch there, including one for this week with Tristan. And there are more to come. Also, there's a weekly secret bonus track podcast with an extra tune or song. Tristan and I play a particularly adventurous Billy in the Low Ground that you don't want to miss this week. At higher levels, you can download the entire Get Up in the Cool tune archive and join me and a handful of supporters every month for a banjo workshop. But those rewards are just a token of my gratitude. What you're really getting for donating to Get Up in the Cool is the continued existence of the show. So go now, while you're listening to this, to patreon.com slash getupinthecool, linked in the show notes on your podcast app, and choose a support level that you can sustain. And this is important. Small, sustaining donations are much more helpful than large, short-term donations. It helps me make my budget for the coming year and make decisions about how much time and energy and money I can put into the show. So thank you to everyone who signs up, and thank you so much to everyone who's kept Get Up in the Cool going these last five years. All right, that's enough business. Stick around afterwards, and I'll tell you how to keep up with Tristan Scroggins. But first, here's our interview and jam. Enjoy. Thank you. 
sweet tune. It's my favorite. I love tunes in F. Yeah. Is it because of how sweet they are? Almost yeah. always. Almost always. Yeah. Even the rags. <laughs> Tristan Scroggins, welcome to Get Up in the Cool. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. I'm so excited to be up in the cool. Good. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh, so we're at IBMA. Yes. We're specifically, we're at the Raleigh Capitol Building. Mm. Um... Where our wind, the wind is being blocked for the microphones by Charles Duncan McIver, mm -hmm. who is an educational statesman. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I chose this person specifically because they seemed better than the last person we recorded next to. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. I like the statue in the deep, I like the little deep, like he's got his finger, he's holding a place in the book. Oh, yeah. That's pretty fun. He's like, yeah, I'll pose for your statue, but I'm... <laughs> I need to get back to this. <laughs> I'm an educational statesman. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he looks a little stern, but stern about education. Fit, so, too. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he looks good. You look good, Charles. <laughs> Chuck? Yeah. Keeping it tight. <laughs> so, I, IBMA. Yes. In in part mm -hmm. happened this year and I think other years because of you, right? Aren't you somehow involved in the organization? Yeah. I found out very recently. I know I am involved, but I only recently found out how high up in the chain mm. my involvement is and that I'm on the board of directors. Yeah. Uh, which I didn't realize is the, t is the top of the pyramid. So there's only, um, uh, I'm the boss, as it were. Hell yeah. Or one of, I should know how many people are on the board, maybe 12 or, anyway. So yeah, I'm, I've been on the board of directors since, um, uh, like spring of this year. Right on. Spring of this year, so that's brand new. It's brand new, yeah. Okay. I would imagine, we don't have to have like a super spicy episode, but I would imagine that has something to do with the amount of ire you got uh, when it was announced that vaccination yeah. cards were, were yeah. required and masks were required in the yeah. convention center. And, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you're the boss. I'm the boss. <laughs> um, I'm Charles in charge. Um, it was a pretty, it was a bit of a stretch. But um, yeah, I am. Um, yeah, that was partly why. I mean, I also, when people get got mad at me on the internet, like it, it wasn't, um, it could have been avoided in that I could have just not engaged with anybody. Right. Um, but I generally try to, you know, especially with, with people who are like yelling a very wrong 
opinion as if it's a fact, I will often try to just sort of be like, hey, I yeah. don't want to necessarily get into this, but this is like the reality. Like, this is what yeah. the truth is about that. A lot of times it comes up with the awards and like people being very upset about um, people who are nominated for awards yeah. and not nominated for awards. And so I spend a lot of time explaining the yeah, nominating yeah. process and all these things. And so this was the same thing. It's an inherently upsetting process. The <laughs> awards. The, any awards. Yes, are any just awards. like fraught and someone will yes. get hurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm grateful for... I mean, I don't know exactly. Maybe the city of Raleigh just said you had to do it, but um, whatever it is, uh, that's the reason I'm here. Uh, I was, I had just messaged my band and Mm. people I was staying with, hey, I don't think I'm going to come, you know, like I looked at the numbers in Raleigh and thinking about going to Bluegrass Festival in the South and that feels really dangerous for me right now. I have kids at home and uh, who aren't vaccinated and, and then like a day later, you know, the announcement came out. I was like, oh, maybe, maybe that's enough for me yeah. to come. So, and I'm really glad I'm here. So thanks. Yeah. And thanks for engaging with those people because sometimes people are like, don't engage with them. Don't feed the trolls. But it's like, it's not only the trolls and the trollees who are watching. You, there are yes. other people who need to see the voice of reason yes. respond yeah. and they will see that, you know, so that- I appreciate that effort yeah thank you that's always been my my thing i'm not i'll have friends of mine be like you know you're never going to change anybody's mind on the internet it's like well i'm not trying to change the person i'm arguing with's mind but i know that there i there are a lot of people who you know i can i check who sees my instagram stories like yeah yeah there are a lot of people who are lurking who i know come from very different backgrounds and um i i grew up the my sort of like beliefs about a lot of things are very different now than they were when i was growing up and a lot of that was from like seeing people i respected like you know I, i just was never around somebody who uh was a human being embodying these ideas that were just like set up as straw men sort of boogeyman so like you know I I don't I don't think that like the all my my leftist propaganda isn't for the people I'm arguing with it's for all the like kids and family bands who I know are just lurking and like I've never seen someone say they're a communist before (laughs) yeah totally yeah Yeah, I I feel like you know it can feel divisive like when you're watching it, but yeah, what it's actually happening is people you're leveraging your influence on people mm-hmm. and you're cause like when, when someone that you re, that you respect or love says I'm this, this or this, yeah. and it's something that you were previously opposed to or think that you're supposed to be opposed to, yeah. then you start thinking and it feels uncomfortable, but you start thinking, I wonder if I need to change my ideas in order to continue to uh, uphold my regard of this yeah. person or relationship with this person. Um, you know, is this going to be a deal breaker? You know, and that's stressful, but it's like such a useful tool. Yeah. So. Well, and on the flip side of that, I think there's a lot of people who have, who are in this community, who have. Um, maybe like differing 
viewpoints, like slightly different. They're leaning in a direction away from what the perceived like cultural norm and the, in the group is. Sure. And I think having somebody say like very prominently, like this is what I believe, like I think yeah. this is a lot more powerful than like in bluegrass, especially it's been this thing as we've talked about diversity, equity, inclusion, and that kind of stuff. Like everybody want, wanted to sort of, at the beginning, they were like, well, bluegrass is very welcoming. Like, you know, we don't yeah. we don't care. It's like the colorblindness thing. It's not sure. actually very helpful. It's yeah. like, we don't care who you are. You know, if you're here for the music, then it's fine, which yeah. is not true to begin with. But yeah. also, <laughs> that doesn't... As we started to look at that, like, it's very different to say that in California than it is to say that here. Like, there's... Sure. there's whether or not it's real or not the the like gamble is different of like the risk of of being different and showing up and having somebody like loud like somebody prominent actually say like i think this is good yeah. <laughs> i think has helped a lot of people you know it's not like the salute by any means even approaching a solution but i personally have known a lot of people who like feel a lot more comfortable just having somebody acknowledge them and not be like yeah just don't tell me about what your stuff as long as you just we'll <laughs> don't play ask music. don't tell yeah. about whatever whether it's you know your medical beliefs <laughs> which is I can't believe is a way people are talking <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> or orientation or or political, you know whether or not you're a communist <laughs> yes. sorry to make your episode spicy yeah no I I prefer spicy episodes. Uh, let's play another tune, and then I want to talk about um, growing up with a banjo dad. Yeah. Because I'm a banjo dad. Yeah. And, like, you seem pretty well-adjusted. Oh, well. <laughs> you, we'll talk at least about the it. facade is, like, mm, so good. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I, you know, I'm all, it's sort of a podcast within a podcast. I want to figure out how to be, like, a musical family without, um, you know... Uh, making my kids hate music. I love a, um, we love a segment. Yeah. A recurring segment. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what do you want to play first? Uh, that's a good question. Um, the, the thing that jumped into my head, but I don't know, it's kind of weird is that, do you know that old reel of eight? I don't think I do. It's a Métis tune. Oh, cool. Um, oh, I may have played this before. It's kind of, what key is it in? Or keys. Sometimes they switch. some point I'll need to swap my bridge around but <laughs> thank you for your patience I know you typically play in bluegrass situations or maybe that's not true but that's I think nice. that's your roots yeah uh, you waited for me the banjo player to tune <laughs> and I appreciate that yes I, <laughs> thank well, you for your yeah. patience I used to, I, yeah I definitely spent a lot of time not caring about tuning that much I was like we have to play the next song right uh, on stage I was like yeah 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 my dad would be the one who had to like change stuff because he was playing the banjo and it's like you got we have like five seconds you got to figure this out <laughs> and but i would always be out of tune and then i started playing in that a duo with a violinist who has more of a classical background she's like we're gonna be in tune all the time yeah <laughs> good <laughs> are you talking about ellie no actually. okay it's a different person okay. yeah this woman in san francisco named Delissa rose um, oh, I have. C I'll give you a CD. I brought. Oh, great! Um, of the duo. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's like 
it's just like eclectic and stuff we write and very like a lot of improv improvising kind of stuff it's very like Mike Marshall Daryl Anger kind of vibe okay cool so reel of eight reel of eight it's kind of squirrely okay um, throw those squirrels at me It's my I'm my one of my like the things that I need to get over. Uh, I feel so nervous about leading anything in a jam. I'm like it's my biggest. Uh, just so much anxiety comes up. It's like I'm if I'm singing a song. It's like I don't want to pick who plays next. You guys figure that out, please. <laughs> or like it's hard enough. <laughs> Uh, wow, what a cool tune. It's fun. I, um, I was thinking about it while we were playing it. Because that first tune, Trips and Williams, um, it's written by Calvin Volrath, and then I learned that older Earl of Eight from Calvin also. Um, not, that makes it sound like I, like, hung out with him. But I mean, <laughs> I mean, I learned, I was, I taught at a camp 
with him in Canada, and he was teaching fiddle, but also he did a workshop on the Métis um, foot rhythm stuff. And um, I got really interested in that. And that was my, that might have been actually like the, my first like real serious foray into trying to learn something more old timey was like. Yeah, through Métis. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. It's just, it's just cool. Was it just like all bluegrass before then? Yeah. Yeah. And, the, and like, when I started playing mandolin, I found an old iPod recently so I could see what I was listening to. I was just like, I don't know, I was like nine when I started the mandolin. I was listening to like Green Day, I guess. And sure. Like, which, which albums? I don't really know how old you are, so I don't know which Green Day you listen to. <laughs> uh, well, I don't even know where I would have found a Green Day record, but um, it must have been American Idiot. Sure. Um, but, but I didn't like have very defined tastes in music. Like I listened to the oldies station on the radio. Oh, great. Um, what was your favorite oldie, if you even had a favorite? I did because I had to do. I had to make some sort of portfolio in humanities in sixth grade, and I had to pick a favorite song, and I picked Build Me Up Buttercup. I mean, <laughs> that song slaps. It slaps. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> I did get the death stare when I requested it at a piano bar once. <laughs> but, like, it was, it, it was in the book, so... Yeah, what the hell? <laughs> and the man had just finished doing a drunken polka rendition of Pour Some Sugar on me, so I was like, I think he can do Build Me a Buttercup for me. Like, Yeah. <laughs> I like the idea of little Tristan in, in school saying, like, I guess my favorite song is Build Me a Buttercup. Yeah. I guess. That yeah. was very cool. And then looking around, just be like, is that okay? Yeah. <laughs> 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 so I didn't even listen to bluegrass. I mean, like, I just got into playing the mandolin. And yeah. I didn't really like bluegrass. And I remember we were on a road, me and dad were on a road trip. He was driving to Houston, Texas to enter a banjo contest because that was how we made money back then a little bit was driving around a banjo contest yeah. and um, somebody had given him a bunch of CDs. I was in the passenger seat listening to Green Day or whatever, um, Jason Mraz maybe, early Jason Mraz everybody, not um, like Mr. A to Z, you know. I, <laughs> this is all over my head. I know, I know he wears like a, a a, a, what a pork pie or a trilby this or something is, this is before the trilby pre pre trilby jason Mraz. okay <laughs> i didn't know there was such a thing yeah i thought it was just cemented yeah, on, right. onto his head <laughs> um okay a joe dirt situation um <laughs> but yeah so i was listening to that in the car and i like fell asleep and my um like headphones fell out and I remember waking up and dad was listening to um, the self-titled Newgrass Revival album yeah which a lot of people think is the worst Newgrass Revival album because it's like the most they, it was when they were like trying the most to be like a pop country sort of band is that the one that Colin Baton Rouge is on or is that later I yeah I think it is it's in that era of stuff for okay. sure um and there's like the banjo's pretty subdued in it, like because there wasn't 
banjo was like the most the worst thing you could have in a band if you were trying to play country at the sure. time um but i heard it and i was just so into it I was, yeah i got super into just the newgrass revival then somebody also had like a cassette of strength and numbers and I, i'm kind of mixing up the timeline on that but i remember we were driving back and i just kept had made my dad listen to that cd nonstop. that like by the time we got to dallas he was like we have to stop and find a new cd and we went to best buy and sam bush had just released laps in seven yeah um and we bought that because sam there was a tim o'brien cd and a sam bush cd and my dad was like these are both good sam is in the band that you like yeah so we bought the sam cd um so then i just listened to like new grass and stuff yeah was that appealing to you as a nine-year-old because of its i guess it's sort of proximity to certain like george michael like (laughs) vibes (laughs) because it's like poppy enough but with the instrumentation that your dad yeah does and i think that's actually super true i I never made it quite that connection or thought of it in quite that way. But I had a, I did later figure out, because when I was in high school, I got into working on sets in the theater and stuff. And, like, I like show tunes a lot. And, like, I feel like the Newgrass Revival, especially that era of the Newgrass Revival, is a real perfect blend of my love of show tunes and bluegrass. Yeah, right on. It's, cool. Yeah. And I worked backwards. Now I'm... Now I know a lot about old stuff. <laughs> No, I think that's a great, that's a great origin. Yeah, I mean, I think no shade on people who were introduced to traditional American music through, you know, um, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? But um, no shade at all. I mean, that was probably mine as well, except for my, like, grandpa singing old country gospel songs occasionally when I would see him. But um, I like thinking about you and your dad on a road trip to for like a job. I, I also, I mean, I want to ask more questions about banjo dad stuff, Okay, uh, but let's do another tune and then we'll do that. And then we'll push the segment past one more tune. What do you want to play next? Oh, this is, I didn't think about what to play for a third song. That's great. Um, songs, tunes, whatever. Surely I know another song. Um, Half past four. Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's the one that bluegrass people do because Adam Steffi made that one album where um, he played a bunch of old time tunes. Okay, right on. Let's play that. We haven't actually done this on the show in quite a while. It's perfect. Okay. Half past four. Okay. Thank you. 
<laughs> Shenanigans. I love it. Okay. <laughs> I, that's always my like. I have many fears being in an old time jam, but my like desire to just reharm everything. <laughs> you just. I I went to Folk Alliance one year, um, and I was hanging out with this this kid that was like my age. He like played folk music, I guess. Right, he was in the right place, but I, but he, he was asking me about bluegrass, and he's like, "Why do you guys stay on the one chord so much?" <laughs> like the most folk alliance question, like singer songwriter question I ever heard. But is that what folk alliance is? Is it a lot of singer songwriters, not as much like bluegrass old time stuff? I don't yeah, even know. I think it, it's more. I would I would characterize it as more singer songwriter, but there is know. like there's always. There's always like bluegrass and old yeah. time around, and actually, Folk Alliance International has like done a lot of really cool work to like the, their programming and showcase artists are like cover a very broad spectrum of folk music. That's it's not, but there are my memory of it certainly involves a lot of like sensitive song circles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, good. They're nice. Not a lot for me to do yeah. in a sensitive song circle, but sure. But maybe that sort of environment is a little bit more accepting of a reharm, yes. an extension, mm. a whatever. More accepting than you know me wandering around fiddle tunes or yeah. <laughs> well, I like that stuff. <laughs> People are afraid of uh, sentimentality or indulgence and. Mm. I'm a very sentimental person and a very indulgent person. Wow. So, uh, I like that. And, uh, I don't think, you know, the other old time music's still going to be there when you're done. Yeah. I'd never thought of it that way. I'm also identify with those traits. Um, and I also like it. Yeah. <laughs> Not that you can't be sentimental and indulgent in a traditional expression of a tune, but... Yes. Yeah. I love that. But <laughs> you grew up listening to, to Wham. So you listen to the oldies. <laughs> so sentimental and indulgent, you know. I fall Can't asleep every it. night listening to Delilah. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Delilah and John Tesh. Yeah. Good. <laughs> okay, so Banjo Dads. Yeah, Banjo Dads. So well-adjusted. You seem to... It seemed to have... You're still playing music and still seem to like playing music. Yeah. That's sort of my main goal. Yeah. Uh, I don't even need my kids to like me. I just want them to... <laughs> I mean, I want them to, obviously. But I want them to at least in, still enjoy playing music and yeah. for it to not be some sort of weird burden. Yeah. Well, my parents... Like, when I asked to learn, it really caught them off guard. Oh. Like, they had never it never even they'd never even considered it like my dad at least claims that he like he'd never thought that his like I, I don't know maybe he thought it was just like a very niche interest to him huh so he never thought that like his kids would be interested interesting in and my mom is originally from Texas as am I I suppose um but so she really wanted I found out as an adult, she really wanted to, she, all she wanted to do was cheer at a high school football game for her kid. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, which did not pan out. Okay, <laughs> um, yeah. 
all of all of her children turned into weird artists. <laughs> um, but so they had us play sports. Like I played um, baseball and soccer and um, so my brother and and um, when I w but my dad always played at varying levels. Like he quit two different times while I was a kid to like get like a more stable job to support the family. Like when I was born, he kind of quit playing full time and we moved to New Mexico to be close to my mom's family. And like he, he started working. Um, and then he got a job playing in a band that he was excited about. So we ended up he started doing that and we moved to Kansas for a little while. And then when that ended, we moved back to New Mexico and he quit again and was just like he was doing odd jobs. He, he's, my dad's really smart. Um, he's a really, um, I want to, inventive's not the right word, resourceful yeah. guy. And like, he did all these, he's also very charming and very good at the banjo and was able to leverage both of those things a lot of the time. So when we were living in Kansas, he was working as a civil engineer, even though he hadn't gone to college. Huh. He was, and he was just like <laughs> wow. teaching him. It was because the guy running the firm was a banjo player and liked his playing. Interesting. So my dad was just teaching himself trigonometry like while trying to do this. <laughs> so he's job. not just doing like pulling a long con. He's actually doing the yeah. <laughs> figuring out how to be a civil engineer yeah. autodidact style. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And so he did a lot of that sort of stuff. But so he, we moved back to Mexico and he quit again. But he was playing in a local band called Coyote Crossing. Um, I love bluegrass and old-time band names from the Southwest because they're so regionally specific. Yeah, that's great. There's um, San Juan Mountain Boys and um, uh, the Adobe Brothers. Or, yeah. Like, there's all these like, very cool. like, hilariously specific but like within the naming tradition bands. Yeah. Anyway, so he was playing in this band and I was we were at a festival in Santa Fe. He was performing on stage and I was just running around being a kid. And you know, I'd always heard him play growing up. Like he would bring me to jams and he would like hold me in his arm here while he was jamming. Oh. So I like grew up hearing it. Yeah. But like I had this moment where like something like changed and I was overwhelmed with a sense of what I later discovered to be pride um, in just my dad being really good at something. And, mm. I, and I wanted to to learn how to do that. And so I asked him to teach me how to play the banjo. And so he like built or bought, I don't remember, a, a, a tiny banjo yeah. for me. How old were you at this time? Eight. Eight, yeah. And um, I couldn't figure it out. It was too... I, I couldn't get around the, because he mostly just does three finger. I couldn't play a roll fast enough to actually hear the melody, so it, yeah. it didn't make any sense to me. And he had a mandolin lying around the house, so I, I, I picked that up and started playing that. Um, and my parents were like encouraging of me, like wanting to do something, but like not 
overly invested like at all like there was no amount of like stage parenting that ha- yeah. there was no like huh. look at my kid doing this thing it was just like it was all very self-driven for me like I liked performing I liked um, being good at something I liked the attention I liked in a slightly darker th- tone there was a lot going on in my life and me being good at the mandolin meant that people were more likely to um, be like, oh, you should come to this festival or have your dad bring you to this place. And so it sort of took me out of the situations yeah. that were uncomfortable where I was living. Yeah. Um, which I didn't obviously make that connection at the time, but like looking sure. back, it was just like, oh, if I practice hard enough, then people will take me away from here. Oh my God. Yeah. But, um, and I would like inner, I would, dad was going to contests and like winning banjos to sell to make money and so I would enter contests a lot and that was kind of my first thing because um, like I wasn't good enough to like play with my dad exactly like, I mean like we played together but like there was no like oh we're gonna like you're like we're gonna start a family band or what there was right. like none of that at all yeah um and so i would just be at these contests and that was sort of my 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 like main outlet of performing was like playing in contests me and my dad are both very anxious people and at that time um had not been to nearly as much therapy um <laughs> yeah and contests <laughs> stressful it's stressful so we would like listen to effortless mastery together and like to, to these meditations and stuff. Wow. And I like, I would shake a lot, but I didn't want people to know that I was nervous. So I, I would, also, I was like classically just wearing like baggy clothes, not because it was cool, but because I just didn't know how to, nobody in my family knew how sizes worked for clothes. They're too hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was wearing baggy clothes and I figured out how to shake in a way that it wouldn't shake my clothes. So nobody could see that I was shaking while I was playing the mandolin. Yeah. Um, I never really got that good at contests. Like, I won a couple, but I just was never really that good at it. But I met a lot of people. I, like, Jake Workman was somebody that I ran into all the time playing contests. And now he's playing guitar for Ricky Skaggs. But, um, but I was like, it was like, that was my whole thing for a while. And, and then I didn't play in a band with my dad until I was 14. I, I joined a band... Like, one of his banjo students reached out to me when I was, like, 12. Yeah. And asked me to join. Like, their mandolin player was leaving. Was it, like, a kid or an adult? He was, was an adult. They were all, like, 10 years older than me. Yeah. So I thought that they were, like, adults, but they were, in Young. reality, yeah. 22 years old. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, like, thinking about it now, I'm just like, that's not... <laughs> Did you, did you join? Oh, yeah. I, I, like, toured around with them. That seems like even... I mean, yeah. As a 12-year-old? As yeah. That seems, like, a little intense. Like, 22-year-olds trying to hang out with them as a 12-year-old. Yeah. I mean, when I'm thinking about, like, myself at 22, yeah. you know, it's just like, oh, that's a... It was. That's a crew. <laughs> They're great. Well, and Sam Weiss was in that band, actually. Okay. Um, he was, like, the second youngest. He was, like, 19 at the time. Yeah. But, because um, he's also from Albuquerque. Um, but... Yeah, and, like, my mom at the same... Like, my mom... My, also, my parents were kind of... That was, like, the beginning of the end of their relationship. Um, 
so she like wasn't you you know she obviously wasn't at these festivals with yeah. me and my dad but but she wasn't like you know she would like tell me she would encourage me to practice and stuff but like she wasn't like there was no like again no stage yeah. thing thing huh. the first show she ever came to I think maybe the first time she ever saw me perform was with that band it was called the Squash Blossom Boys another great regional yeah. band name <laughs> um and we were the house band for a variety show taking place at in a a, a gas station that had been renovated into like a theater kind huh. of in the not good part of town and i don't say that in a way that's like you know people say not good part of town and like you usually have some it's sort of loaded but like yeah there's and stuff in albuquerque like albuquerque is kind of dangerous it's still here yeah and like it was not a good place for like a 12 year old to be in the middle of the night at, <laughs> at like a gas, a gas station. station. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. But it was a cool, th- it was this, this company um, was doing this variety show. And so there was like poets and comedians and musicians and all this stuff. And we were the house band. So what we did would, um, we played the music in between the acts. Um, and the way that they collected money for the bands and stuff was they like i guess they must have made change at the door everybody had these cups of change and um when the act ended we would start playing like an exciting song so we played rich girl um and then uh this woman who was referred to as target girl Okay. Uh, came out wearing a Catholic schoolgirl outfit with a target painted on her and would dance to us playing Rich Girl while people threw like nickels. Oh my God. On the stage. <laughs> That's horrifying. <laughs> and um, then there was a queue and we had to switch to something sultry and we didn't know anything sultry yeah. so we just played a slower version of Rich Girl. Yeah. And these. <laughs> These women dressed as like sexy teachers came out. Yeah. That was the sign for people to stop throwing money. It was like, okay, right. the teachers are here, stop throwing money. And then the stage would um, spin and there would be another act and they would get all the change off of the other side of the stage. Yeah. Um, and I remember, I think it was a plant. Somebody like threw change at one of the teachers and he got like dragged away. So this and, is all like a burlesque, you yeah. know, like. Yeah, I I know it sounds wild, but yeah. it was all very like consensual yeah. and like sure. it wasn't like it was it was a, as, at least as far as twelve year old me can remember. Right. And my mom is here. Like this yeah, is the yeah. first show my mom is ever seeing yeah. me play. <laughs> and Target Girl also throughout the course of the night and the teachers um, is just wearing less and less clothing. And sure. She's just wearing like a red bra and panties with a Target on her ass. And. Um, I don't know why my mom let me keep playing yeah. <laughs> with that band, but I kept playing with that wow. band and like toured around and like you know did a <laughs> lot of stuff and and they were interesting because they they it was originally two brothers the banjo and mandolin player the mandolin player who had left you know they played at like farmers markets growing up they like their parents like sort of had them like play together and they would perform at the farmers market. And then when they got to high school, they joined the jazz band and they met a bunch of other musicians. And then they all, that that whole crew, like quit the jazz band all at once to start a rock band. 
um, also still using Squash Blossom Boys, but when they were a rock band, they would just go by SBB. Okay. Just sort of imply <laughs> that it was Satan's best buds. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then it sort of like morphed into this weird reggae band for a while. Um, they like met this like Rastafarian guy, I guess. I never met him, but like it just it became a reggae band for yeah. a while. And then one day, we, were you in it no, all this time? Okay, no, no. What what happened? They were a reggae band, and then. Um, the mandolin player came and like threw down a binder of like bluegrass songs and it's like we're a bluegrass band now and like everybody like switched instruments and started learning other stuff that's wild um, maybe this happens everywhere but I feel like there's something about like if you get west coast enough mm-hmm. people just have those sort of just like cultural identity crises you know they're just like I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what, like, yeah, yeah maybe I'm a reggae, maybe we're a rock band, you know, like, yeah. no, we're bluegrass, yeah. It's just like, yeah. it's all equally a, a stretch. Yeah. Well, I, I hate to get so far away from the, the banjo dad. No, I love all of where this has gone, so, it's, yeah. I do think it's interesting with New Mexico, because I've done a lot of, like, interviewing people and researching and writing about it, and... yeah. Um, but I've also spent a lot of time actually on the West Coast and on the coast I feel a lot more of this angst about a lack of um, having a claim to like of yeah. legitimacy sure which is acted out in various ways of like going like weirdly uber traditional right. or or whatever there's always like a little bit of like there's just angst whereas in New Mexico like it was like that like there were people who were intense there were people who were more or less intense about it but yeah. like they would never like it was weird Any, it, of course it was weird like they were playing bluegrass in the desert like there yeah. wasn't there wasn't a market for it at all it was like yeah this is this is what I like doing yeah <laughs> I never really thought about it that way anyway Banjo Dad um, Dad and I when I we when my parents got divorced he moved to Denver and I ended up going with him because I wanted to play music and I eventually got good enough that we could like be in a band together mm. and we started sort of trying to put a band together and we ended up putting we we met Greg Blake who's here at IBMA yeah I saw him yeah, yeah he rules he's the best he's, I don't know him personally but his like his playing and his singing is incredible I saw him in Australia one oh yeah uh, we were both there at the same time but I think you were in that band for a while but not on that tour I wasn't on that tour <clears throat> so you met Greg I met Greg and we started this band and then I played in a band with my dad for 10 years and like that wasn't the healthiest thing I've ever done um, is that just because well we don't I'll defer to you about how deep into this we go but like I would imagine that, like, because those are, like, key differentiation years. Yeah. And you're with your dad. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, like, yeah, there's two sides to it in that, like, with my relationship with my dad, it became impossible because we're living on extremely, like, non-existent margins. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, literally, like, eating, like, toast and gravy out of pie tins. Like, yeah. cartoon hobo. <laughs> like... <laughs> Um, shit but yeah 
Um, so that's already stressful enough. But then, you know, we're running a business together. Yeah. But then I'm a kid, like a child. Yeah. yeah. And, but then, and his child, like this yeah. father-son dynamic. But then also we're bandmates and like, yep. can, like peers. Um, and that was it, like almost never <laughs> was good. Um, I mean, it, I had a like, really great, I mean, I love playing music with my dad. He's yeah. like my biggest inspiration. And I really am so thankful that I got to like travel the world with him and spend yeah. so much time with him. I mean, I saw him essentially every single day for 10 years. Yeah. And like saw a bunch of really amazing stuff together and had all these amazing experiences, but it was also just very difficult um, with that relationship. And then, like you're saying, the other side of that is like, we started that band when I was 14 and I quit when I was like 23, 24. Yeah. And so I had like become an adult but like nothing about my life had actually changed. Like I didn't go off to college. Right. The only thing that changed is that I stopped going to high school and I started touring. More. Yeah. So there was, and like in our relationship dynamic, it was weird because it's like, what can he like discipline me? Or like, yeah. And so it wasn't like, you know, yeah. it was perilous, but like, um, but as and then as far as my outward facing facade, like I've gone to like tons of therapy. Like when I quit that band, it was essentially I essentially took a break from my career to go to therapy. Yeah. <laughs> and it, like I do, I wasn't thinking about it that way necessarily. Yeah. But in retrospect, it's like yeah, I went to a lot of. I like very deliberately built a community around me and a support system. I started going to therapy extremely regularly. Yeah. Started going to like more specific therapy like trauma therapy for some of the stuff that had happened when I was a kid and um and I like quit drinking and all these like I I over the course of a few years like really changed like did all of the work that I had not done because I was just in a band yeah and you were like it seems like you were with your community mm -hmm was you know just the people who went around with you uh mm -hmm. so you just had those people but your community was the people you depended on for money yes and you're like literal family yeah and there's it's just like squishing all that big venn diagram into like all one all one hoop yeah it's like i would imagine it would be stressful to have those people in your life who maybe you otherwise would have like really great relationships with, but it's like, you're depending on them for everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, and I yeah. had a good relationship with, I mean like, you know, I spent a lot of time with Greg, like, yeah, probably, I mean, we traveled so much that like I, there were definitely years that I saw him more than his own, his own kids. Did. Yeah. Wow. Um, and Greg is such a, you know, he's a, he's a pastor. Like he's oh. a, he was a, an elementary school principal. Um, like he, you know, he's a good influence, a good, um, role model kind of person. Like yeah. he, he was a good person to have around. Um, 
Annie Savage and Casey Groves were in the band for a long time, and Ellie was, I think, the other like longest member besides Greg. And that was also huge for me because Ellie was like the first person my age that I like spent a lot of yeah. time around. Yeah. I mean, she's a few years older than me, but like, and I learned a lot about like, like she helped me contextualize a lot of, cause I was living in that. I had no idea yeah. how like disconnected from everything I was yeah. and like having somebody that wasn't like an adult, like a friend, just having somebody who was like a friend be like, this like maybe we should examine this yeah. a little bit. It was extremely helpful. Like, yeah, cool. So. Yeah, she's she's pretty smart. Yeah, <laughs> she's a smart person. Yeah, she's smart and she's very patient. Yeah, and, like it's yeah. I mean, I owe essentially everything to her. Yeah. I mean, but also, just I had a lot of great people in my life. But, yeah. yeah. But then banjo dad, like my brother. Same thing happened with my brother sort of my brother Ross plays the guitar and again we weren't nobody was trying to get him to play yeah. music and my read on it always was that he kind of wanted to have something to do with me and my dad because yeah um, especially once we separated like we, they, my brothers stayed with my mom and so yeah. we didn't see them a lot so Russ started playing the guitar but it's not his career he like he's in college he's becoming an engineer but he's a great guitar player and then my other brother chris has a talent for music but was like was put in that situation where i had been playing for a long time and ross had started playing and was getting good and so chris was just too it felt like too much pressure for chris to like yeah. try to learn an instrument and like catch up or something like that yeah so chris is a graphic designer but it's really interesting. Like, I don't know if I've heard this sort of specific story before when, you know, in this segment of the show, yeah. uh, where it seems like all of the pressure was like kind of self-imposed mm -hmm. or environmentally imposed, but, but absolutely not imposed <laughs> yeah. by the parents. If anything, yeah. like, discouraged that time. Interesting. <laughs> and it seems like not even in a, like, reverse psychology kind of way. No. Yeah. Interesting. No. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was, it's weird. And, like, you know, there's definitely some more, like, armchair analysis kind of that you could do. Like, sure. I probably was all, you know, like I said, it was it's like a like literal physical escape for me in many ways. Yeah. But also, like, I also probably was just I wanted attention from my dad. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, and that got me attention from him and other people. Like, people paid attention to me because yeah. I was good at the mandolin. Yeah. So it was like, I was into that. <laughs> Getting dad attention can be hard. Yeah. Well, you my know? dad had a lot going on. Like, yeah. trying to learn trigonometry and all. So. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Wow. What a complicated, interesting story. Thanks for t telling all that. Some of that was kind of intense. I, I don't mind telling people about. It. Good. <laughs> I don't, yeah. I just. If Seems it, like, like you've already done the work. Yeah. Yeah. And like, if it helped, I you know I know like, I didn't have any. Peer like there weren't any other kids playing bluegrass in New Mexico yeah. at the time. Um, like I was in 
I guess I played. I was in a family band for a while, but it wasn't my family. It was like yeah. a, I was like in a family band where they like hire some other guy who yeah. to fill the instrument that nobody plays. Yeah, played in this family band, but they were all the the kids in that band were older than me by a few years. And so I just I didn't have a lot of experience like playing with people my own age, and so like I didn't have a lot of friends my own age, yeah. and so like, and it's different like processing your experience with like somebody your own age versus like an older adult like all my friends were like in their like 10 years 20 years 30 years older than me yeah and so like they would give me advice but like it was advice from like an adult it wasn't like yeah and i was a teen or whatever like i I, that wasn't what i wanted there's power asymmetry there yeah yeah well, and so I like I don't mind telling like talking about all the weird stuff that happened to me because it's like I don't know maybe some like we were talking about with the people lurking on the internet like yeah maybe somebody hears it and like <laughs> either figures out that they're in a weird situation <laughs> yeah or like you know feels seen and valid to have their experience their experience being validated because like that was the thing like I always was like I can I can't complain about anything because. Yeah. everything's so cool like I'm playing music right. professionally I'm like traveling to other countries I'm doing all this stuff that is objectively cool and good and I like yeah and I'm opting into but like so that but that doesn't actually cancel out all of the negatives that like they're both true yeah there's this uh, I think this really cruel lie that we tell ourselves that we can't experience pain or discomfort if it's something that we chose Mm. and that we can't like grieve that stuff you know or that like i mean that's like the work that you did i i feel like is not just recognizing that maybe there's some unhealthy stuff going on but also recognizing that today you're saying like yeah this stuff kind of sucked and like i'm glad that like i examined that but also I love my dad mm-hmm. and like, I really respect him and I got to play awesome music and that was all great. And like, you're not looking at it in some sort of uh, things should have been different kind of way, but rather a, uh, this is what happened yeah. kind of way. Yeah. <laughs> what do I do now? Yeah. And, uh, wow, that's, uh, what, what a, what a great attitude to have that must be hard won. Yeah, I mean, I feel really lucky in my life. Yeah. And, like, lucky to have had the energy to put in the work. Yeah. Um, because I, I didn't for a long time, and a lot of people don't. But, like, yeah. I managed to find... Like, there are a lot of moments I look back on my life well, I'll rewind slightly. When I, like, talk to young people who are, like, asking me about, like, playing music for a living or whatever, I try to explain to them, like, you are going to make sacrifices that you don't realize that you're making at the time. Sure. Nobody's going to come up to you and offer you two different choices. It's going to be you looking back ten years later and realizing, like, oh, I'll never get to do this thing mm. because I chose to do this thing. Yeah. Like, I'll never get to 
I can still go to college, but like sure. I'll be like a twenty-six-year-old on a college campus full of like teenagers. Yeah, it's different. I'll never be—I'll <laughs> never get to be like eighteen and living with a bunch of other eighteen-year-olds who are just trying to figure everything out. Like, yeah. Which I don't know if I want that, but like I never—I right. really, <laughs> never really realized at the time when I decided to play music instead that like there was no way for me to like understand that like that was what I was trading. Like I, I understood that I wasn't going to college, but I didn't really understand what the experience of that was and yeah. what I was trading, trading it for. And so similarly, um, there's been many moments in my life that looking back, like I made a choice where the other choice, like, I don't know what would have happened, but it felt, seems like it would have been a lot worse. And like, yeah, um, I've been really lucky to have made choices that led me to a place. Well, I feel, I say lucky, like, I don't know. It's not like, sure. I, I try to be, try to like take credit or like whatever, but, um, I don't know. I, I, a lot of, I see a lot of people who I, I feel connected to on a, like, a level of them having been through stuff and like they a lot of times it feels like just haven't had as much luck like without as much luck as I had I don't think I would be here doing this like yeah um, luck exists luck exists <laughs> that's the thing yeah and like to, but so having that opportunity and then taking advantage of the opportunity to like okay I can actually put in this work. Like it wasn't just like, you yeah. know, I put in a lot of work, but I, it was sort of a, it was a, a co-bill between me and the universe. <laughs> co-bill. <laughs> On that note, let's play another tune and then we'll talk about like, you know, the last section of the interviews, typically the, how do people follow you and yes. give you money for goods and services. I think you have an album coming out. I do. Yeah. We'll talk about that. But first, what should we play? Do you want to play Happy Hollow again? I love Happy Hollow, and I will always play it. Um, I'll play it every episode. I'm just going to put it out there. <laughs> I'll do it. Could we do it in G? Yeah, I'll come back down. I I like it. I don't know why. Well, I do know why. I just found this one video of this kid playing it, and he was playing it in, in G Calico. Because I was trying to learn... Calico. Calico. I was trying to learn um, fiddle a little bit in the, in the pandemic, and I was like, and I really like calico. Um, I think I just put calico fiddle into YouTube. Uh, I'm in G. I'm ready to go to the Happy Hollow. Ready to go to Happy Hollow.
coming out yeah is it called fancy boy no well i did make an album called fancy boy okay so that's a previous album that's a previous okay, album great that's um a cross-picking mandolin album so well ep actually sort of a similar thing that one i was on this really long actually right after that germany tour or not that australia tour where you, uh, you were in the same place as greg blake and my band i wasn't there because they flew directly from there to a long germany tour and uh -huh. i was like i'm not gonna do yeah, that do a long germany tour yeah um so i went to, I, I was like i'll go to germany i'm not going to australia <laughs> um, <laughs> and we had so much downtime on this tour um and so i i practiced all these like 
really intricate cross-picking arrangements. Yeah. So I, I, and I went and recorded a bunch of them. Similarly, so this album's called One Ring Circus, and um, it's um, a tenor banjo album. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, I've always... Well, so I always wanted to play the banjo. I've always liked banjo sure. probably more than the mandolin. I don't really mm. listen to, like, mandolin. I, I've learned a lot from mandolin players, but, like, if I'm listening to music, like, like nine times out of ten, I'm going to pick a banjo album over a mandolin album. Yeah, okay. Um, like, I love, like, Bela Fleck is, like, my, like, second biggest inspiration next yeah. to my dad, probably. Yeah. And then, like, Alan Mundy and... Um, yeah, I just I really like banjo stuff. So I but I'm not good enough to play the banjo. So I um you play the mandolin version of the banjo, the yeah, tenor banjo. The tenor banjo. So you use so. a pick, great. Yeah, exactly. And so somebody I'd like been trying to manifest a tenor banjo for years <laughs> cuz I couldn't like justify buying one cuz yeah. like but um so a friend of mine sent me one at the beginning of the pandemic. He was like he just sent it to me. It was very sweet of him. And so I hung around the whole pandemic like sort of just playing tenor banjo for fun entertaining myself and then like coming out of when you know things started to open up i was like oh i could record this like i i I like the idea of rather than like trying to make an album be like a commercial like a solely commercial thing of like something to have at the record table like to be like a time capsule of like what i was doing yeah and so i and it was also convenient that I started playing with Missy Rains and her husband Ben Surratt um, has a a studio and like he, and so, and so I was going over there to rehearse with Missy all the time anyway. So I was um, I knew that I only wanted to do I wanted it to be fairly informal and also it was just going to be me. So um, it would just be like one or two takes of everything, and so it would take like an hour. And I was like, okay, I can afford to yeah, do yeah. this. Um, so it's just a bunch of random stuff. Like, it's just stuff that I enjoyed, that I thought sounded cool on the banjo. There's not, like, there wasn't a, like, theme going into it, but then looking back at it, it, it kind of covers a, a broad swath of, like, American, like, traditional stuff. Yeah. There's a lot of tune, like, you know, Seneca Square Dance and things like that. Yeah. But then, like... I do Don't Get Around Much Anymore, that Duke Ellington song. Oh, cool. Medleyed into Dunbar with a little bit of the foot percussion. Yeah. <laughs> um, I sing this labor union song and accompany myself doing Hambone. And um, there's like an original on there. And like, it just covers like, it's just like, it, it, it. in some ways it feels disjointed but to me it's like a very clear like image of just like no this is just like all this stuff that i like a lot of traditional stuff but it's not tied to one tradition it's it's just tied to like my experience of where i've been and like learned stuff from people and i like how the tenor pancho sounds so awesome i can't wait to hear it when is it coming out october 15th oh great yeah i was planning on releasing this in October excellent so uh, we'll talk about whether you want it before or after yeah. so yeah I think it's the 15th and I, I think my thir- three year anniversary of being sober is October 14th yeah so. right on so yeah. we're gonna celebrate with a a, a virgin something um, yeah <laughs> yeah good virgin screwdriver yeah <laughs> good tune <name. laughs> shit <laughs> 
Anything else before we play our final song and say goodbye? Yeah, I, mean, I have other stuff online, like I, I, the album. But like, I, you know, I got a website. I got the Instagram. Yeah, I have a TikTok. Um, of course. Yeah, I love your TikTok. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, I, I started watching it. I guess when you were sharing it through Facebook, but I have TikTok now. I should actually follow you on there. But uh, I loved your um, your bluegrass song. Mm. Uh, like series where you're sort of airing all of your grievances and yeah, I really appreciated it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That all that stuff's fun. And like, I, you know, write like educational books and stuff. Yeah. But like, I, I'm pretty good about talking about all the new stuff that I'm doing on my Instagram yeah. and then I'm playing with Missy Rains. Yeah. Not a lot of that coming up in the near future, but next year there'll be a lot of stuff. Great. And, and congrats for being IBMA Writer of the Year. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, I guess technically I'm a writer now, so... Yeah. <laughs> thanks so much for doing this. Thanks for Tristan. asking me. I didn't realize that you had to, like, haul... That you you got kicked out of your Airbnb because it's... You're heading out tonight and you had to haul all of your stuff all the way over here, so I appreciate that. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. But it's, uh... I like a challenge, and, um... <laughs> and you did... you. You did come here on one of those like rentable electric scooters pulling that, which is insane. <laughs> yes, it's a, yeah, I haven't done something dangerous in a long time. Um, I was looking at my step counter on my watch, and um, there's like the graph like shoots up like from being here, and then has an immediate drop off, like because I have like insane blisters on my feet right now from walking around. So I, like one day I walked like 70,000 steps or whatever. And, <laughs> Too much. and so the next day was the day I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. switch to the scooters. Yeah. So see, you're like wearing these cool shoes, which are like probably not cool for walking. They're great. Yeah. They're great for dancing because they they have great leather soles and yeah. then they're like very breathable. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, they're not the best for <laughs> walking around for dragging a bunch of stuff around Raleigh and well thanks Tristan and let's play one more team yeah not, thank count, you. not counting our bonus track thanks for asking me to do this I yeah. had such a nice time yeah <laughs> me too So true. Don't 
what money ships or mansions now. All I want is you. Tristan's new tenor banjo album, One Ring Circus, is available for pre-order starting this Friday the 8th. I put a link in the show notes to his band camp. If you want to hear him before then, get his EP, Fancy Boy, also available on Bandcamp. Visit his website, tristanscroggins.com, and follow him at Tristan Scroggins on Instagram and TikTok. Please support Get Up in the Cool by sharing the show with a friend or sharing and liking the video posts on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And help fund this podcast by signing up at patreon.com slash getupinthecool. Order a mask, t-shirt, bag, sticker, or phone case at Get Up in the Cool's merch store. Visit pitchforkbanjo.com for my instructional Clawheimer banjo series or to schedule a lesson with me. Check out my other podcast, Think Outside the Box Set, available in all the same places as Get Up in the Cool. And again, everything I just mentioned is linked in the show notes for this episode in your podcast app. That's all for now, friends. Thank you for listening. Come back same time next week to Get Up in the Cool. 